With the rise of dual-income households throughout the 80s and 90s, an unprecedented number of families were relying on near strangers for childcare. Subsequently, a wave of child sex abuse hysteria began in which any claim at all from a child was granted credence, no matter how outlandish or provably false they were. At this time, Howard Dudley and Diane Moore were jointly raising their daughter, Amy, but were never married. Eventually, Howard found a renewed sense of faith, met his wife, and had two sons. Even though Howard paid child support and maintained a presence in Amy's life, one can imagine that Howard's new willingness to settle down was not well received by the mother of his first child or her family, including Amy's babysitter, Lydia Mae Starkey. On October 13, 1991, Amy allegedly told Miss Starkey that her father was, quote, nasty. Already primed to believe the worst about Howard and demanding an explanation, Starkey began a series of suggestive questioning, and Amy allegedly claimed sexual abuse. To look out for Amy's best interest during the social services investigation, she was assigned a guardian ad litem who determined that Amy's story was untrue. Nonetheless, the trend demanded that credence be granted to the child's claims, triggering Howard's arrest. The prosecution ignored and hid the guardian ad litem's recommendation, and even though Amy recanted her allegations immediately after trial, Howard spent nearly 25 years in prison as a child sex offender. This is Wrongful Conviction. Zero Foxtrot isn't just a brand, it's a way of life. Founded and operated by veterans, Zero Foxtrot's unique apparel and gear echoes the grit of the warrior culture. Zero Foxtrot dedicates itself to producing content, honoring the sacrifices of forgotten heroes of the past, and connecting history to the present. Embark on a journey with Zero Foxtrot today at ZeroFoxtrot.com. It's not merely our products, it's about the ethos that we embody. Rugged, resilient, and timeless. Had enough of those supplements that leave you feeling nothing? Symbionica is your solution to great-tasting, all-natural supplements that actually work. Crafted with premium plant-based ingredients, their products have no seed oils, fillers, or toxins. Try them out and actually feel the difference today. Visit Symbiotica.com and use code IHEART for 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Again, that's 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Go to Symbiotica.com. C-Y-M-B-I-O. T-I-K-A dot com. When you have health insurance, it's easy to forget about your out-of-pocket costs. That can be a lot of money. But are your bills accurate? It's estimated over 50% of medical bills contain errors. HealthLock can help. HealthLock technology securely connects with your insurance and flags any overbilling, wrong codes, and fraud. You can even have HealthLock work on your behalf to get money back from select past bills. To date, HealthLock has helped its members save over $130 million. To save, visit HealthLock.com today. Welcome back to Wrongful Conviction. I feel a deep sense of responsibility to share this story because it's unique in terms of the almost 300 episodes we've, we've done, but it's not unique because it was a common story at the time that it was happening. It's the story of a man named Howard Dudley who was convicted of a crime that never happened and who spent almost three decades incarcerated because of a series of lies, superstitions, hysteria that sort of swept the nation. So before I introduce the other distinguished guest who we have on here, I want to introduce Mr. Dudley himself. Howard Dudley, welcome to Wrongful Conviction. Good morning. Excited about being here this morning. 
Well, listen, I'm excited to have you here. I'm sorry you're here because of what you went through. With Howard today is a remarkable woman named Teresa Newman. Teresa is uh, recently retired, but she was a clinical professor of law emerita at Duke Law. So this is a, a serious person. You don't get that title by not being tough and, and smart. And you also don't get Howard Dudley out of prison without those qualities and characteristics. So, Teresa, thank you for being here today. Thank you so much for having us. And this story is outrageous. Stories like this have actually kept me up at night. And I mean, again, this one is, this is about as bad as it gets, but it isn't unique. And that's why I think it's all the more important that we tell it. But Howard, before we get into the story itself, let's talk about your youth. You grew up in a small town in North Carolina. Is that right? That's correct. That's right. A little town called Institute. I grew up in a home, uh, mom and daddy, and nine siblings, and, and my dad had uh, strict rules, and, and he enforced them. Taught to work, stay out of trouble, not to go out and disperse the family name. Yeah, I guess with that many kids, you'd have to have some strict rules, or it'd be pure chaos. But it sounds like your parents instilled some good values in you, and I also understand that you played guitar and still do. And eventually you grew up and met a woman named Diane Moore. You had a daughter together named Amy, but it appears that you never intended on marrying Diane and weren't ready to settle down. I wasn't really a, a good boyfriend. I, I admit to that right there. But we worked out between the court and myself and Amy's mother that I could spend time with her. She spent weekends with me. We had a great relationship and uh, they, we was on good terms, I thought. And while you two tolerated each other for the good of your daughter, Diane ended up becoming infected with HIV and she was very ill for a while. So a relative named Lydia May Starkey began shouldering more of Diane's end of the bargain. But nonetheless, you moved on with your life. I met my wife and uh, we got married. She wouldn't accept me as I was. And after marriage, we had a son named Dennis, who's a musician today, and Adrian living a productive life. I was determined to make a good life for my children, and that was my endeavor. I worked. My wife went to college, and her last year in school, she had a, a major stroke. And so basically, I was the provider for my family. So at this time, you were providing for your family, living in a trailer, while paying child support for Amy, who would join you on the weekends. And during the week, her relative, Lydia Mae Starkey, would care for her as Diane's health continued to deteriorate. The babysitter, she called Howard mean because he had broken up with Diane Moore, who she later died of AIDS. She was ill. And then Howard, moving on with his life, became born-again Christian, got married, had these two kids. So one could easily see how some really, you know, hard, hurt feelings could develop, making it easy for Lydia May to believe horrible things about you and later on maybe even to cajole young Amy into making wild accusations that she would later recant. Amy, as I understand, was a bit more susceptible to suggestion as she had some intellectual limitations. But even before we get into the specifics of your case, I think it's important to mention that this time period, the late 80s and early 90s, was the absolute height of a wave of child sex abuse hysteria and, and cases were sweeping across the country one nonsensical case after the other. And I think probably the most widely known one was the McMartin Preschool. But very close by to Howard and his family in North Carolina was the Little Rascals Daycare Center, where the accusations were beyond absurd. I mean, just 
absolutely outlandish things that a kid might conjure up on the spot. Now, that's not to say that they're perhaps weren't, you know, some real allegations among the false ones. But in that climate, social services, police, and eventually juries were buying the allegations, credible or not. A- absolutely. And I, I wasn't a lawyer when these cases were sweeping the nation and frankly, internationally. Um, but I remember, just like you, Jason, reading it and thinking these were fantasy allegations And people have different theories about what led to this period of near hysteria. But I think many believe it was a time of two parent families. Both parents were working, so children were being taken care of by strangers or near strangers. And all it takes is rumor and innuendo that something untoward is happening in these places. And the Little Rascals is a great example. And that's right here in North Carolina, the trial, which was against every worker and owner at that daycare center, that trial was occurring for the owner of the center just minutes away from where Howard Dudley lived. The stories were in the New York Times, were in the international papers, were in every local newspaper. And in that one, newborn babies were being tossed to sharks off the coast of North Carolina. There were pirate ship allegations, clearly the stories of children. But the the other important piece of this period of time was that no research had really been conducted on whether young children could fabricate such stories. So if they told you a, quote, story that story had to be true. Any listener who is a parent today knows that that's a crazy notion. Children make up stories all the time. They live in fantasy. But that was that period. Today, it is known that children can lie, that it's really important to conduct interviews of children in a certain way, that the medical evidence that was believed to be dispositive abuse at the time is not. A friend of mine named Gus Gussler, I don't know if you ever came across him, but he's a criminal defense lawyer for a long time in North Carolina, and he defended one of these cases. He was actually representing a, a man who was a golf pro whose wife operated a daycare facility. And just because he would go and pick her up from work once in a while, he got caught up in it as well. And I believe he got convicted because at the time it was just like everybody was just believing anything that anybody said. And of course, these were crimes that never even happened. We represent one of the last surviving multi-defendant, multi-children cases from this period. And the man was convicted in 1987. And it absolutely nothing happened. But he was the van driver for a daycare center with some cognitively impaired adults on the van as well. And two of those adults were boyfriend and girlfriend, and they were doing, as the children said, that married people were doing married people things on the bus. And that's how it started. And it ended up with our client, Junior Chandler, in prison since 1987 and will be there for the rest of his life unless we can successfully petition the court. There are still so many people suffering in prison, like Junior Chandler, James King, whose case we've covered on the show. And if you have the opportunity, please go back and listen to that one. That one, it hurts my heart. And we'll have it linked in the bio. And then who knows? Maybe you know something. Maybe there's something you can do to help. And Howard, you haven't even been home that long. It was only 2016 when you got out. So let's turn to the story at hand here. This was October 13th, 1991, which was a Sunday. Amy had just been returned to her mother and and Miss Starkey. And I understand that over the weekend, you had been firm with Amy about something as parents often are when trying to raise their children 
you know, the right way. And she had a complaint that you were, quote, nasty. And it was at this point that Ms. Starkey began a series of leading questions resulting in some very serious allegations and accusations. What's really important is that the babysitter was predisposed to believing that Howard was mean and would do anything, right? So when Amy said, my daddy is nasty, she went straight to sexual and said, does he put his mess inside of you? So at that, given Amy's other characteristics, you know, she went with it. And she had been inappropriately watching adult TV. So she had seen the Sally Jesse Raphael show where they had talked about rape. So with a head full of adult content and being pressed for an explanation about her meaning of the word nasty by Miss Starkey with a suggestive line of questioning like, does he put his mess inside you? I mean, that's the first direction she went in talking about Amy's dad. Eventually, under this absurd and obscene pressure, nine-year-old Amy, who was even more impressionable than her contemporaries, allegedly said that Howard had, quote, humped her and, quote, had S-E-X with her. So the accusation was reported to Diane and then the police. Diane and, and Miss Starkey, I think they know that certain things that they can run down into the post with, and they're going to come back running with handcuffs and warrants. I think they used that other trial, the little rascal, they used that as an opportune time to vent her anger out at me. Of course, in this incredibly fraught time period, with the little rascal case looming in the headlines, the Kinston police and Lenore County DSS were primed to jump on a case like this one. But it soon should have been clear that these accusations of sexual activity on multiple occasions were totally false. Because when they began to ask Amy to retell what happened, she told at least nine different stories to DSS. Nine. And the stories were both inconsistent and wildly implausible, if not impossible. For example, she said that on one occasion she had been stabbed and that a neighbor came and halted the alleged attack. There was no evidence, of course, that she had ever been stabbed and no neighbor could corroborate this story. There was also a claim about him putting hot sauce on his privates and the hot sauce smelled like goats. And, you know, it starts to go into really bizarre and, and obviously patently false territory. This was all supposed to be happening inside, remember, just a tiny trailer while Howard's wife was there nursing their newborn. Just wholly unbelievable. I mean, there was also a claim in which she was supposed to have been raped while wearing pajamas and underwear. What she said that time with the pajamas, she was wearing her panties and her pajamas, and yet she was vaginally penetrated by her father. Well, you can't do that through pajamas. Amy was the evidence, and bless her heart, she is the faulty evidence in the case, and it's not her fault. Remember, she was a nine-year-old child with intellectual limitations and didn't know how things worked, including sex, and what would happen to her father with these false claims. And we know Amy immediately recanted after trial. She clearly feels guilt about that all of these years later, but she was a child, nine years old, and the adults in her life, as well as the authorities, should have known better. And as it turned out, there was one person that did. So as is protocol in a case where there's a dispute between legal guardians and a minor's interest must be looked after, Amy was assigned a guardian ad litem. And this person also looked into the allegations while Amy was being interviewed and the claims were being verified. The guardian ad litem read everything. You know, his job is to advocate for the best interests of the child. And he concluded that it was in Amy's best interest not to let her testify falsely against her father. And he decided that not 
from the start of his investigation. He decided at the end of his investigation. He did a full investigation. He interviewed people who knew Amy. He went to her school. He understood Amy's pensions, her limitations, her characteristics, the other actors. He read the reports. He did a full investigation, a fuller investigation, and really tried to stop the prosecution of Howard and to try to stop the substantiation of abuse by the Department of Social Services. But he was unsuccessful. So you mentioned an important word here, substantiation. The police were waiting for that to move forward with an indictment, and it's unclear if DSS even knew that. So even though the Guardian ad litem could see the writing on the wall after the initial investigation and interviews, DSS inexplicably continued down this course towards substantiation. And on December 5th, 1991, they filed a petition in Lenore County Juvenile Court alleging abuse and neglect. And there was a hearing two weeks later in which Howard was ordered to cease contact with Amy and Diane, at which point the social workers also decided, despite the total lack of evidence to corroborate Amy's claims, that they would go with the mantra of that time that credence must be given to the child's story, thus substantiating the claim and triggering the police to act more aggressively. But something else happens here that makes absolutely no fucking sense. It's crazy, and it all goes to show that the social workers didn't really believe Amy's claims. Now get this. The social workers agreed to a plan in which Howard could potentially regain unsupervised visits upon completing some kind of counseling for an unspecified amount of time. I mean, am I missing something here? You're not missing a thing. And they came to that conclusion after they had a team meeting. How can you substantiate the allegations? Because if they believed them to be true, they never could have given visitation to the person who perpetrated those kinds of acts. That said, when we interviewed the the lead social worker years later, I asked, do you sometimes just substantiate so you can get access to the family? In other words, do a deeper investigation. And she said, yes. What? (laughs) Yes. Yes. Evidently, without any appreciation about what substantiating the allegations would lead to, and in fact did lead to in Howard's case. Zero Foxtrot isn't just a brand, it's a way of life. Founded and operated by veterans, Zero Foxtrot's unique apparel and gear echoes the grit of the warrior culture. Zero Foxtrot dedicates itself to producing content, honoring the sacrifices of forgotten heroes of the past, and connecting history to the present. Embark on a journey with Zero Foxtrot today at ZeroFoxtrot.com. It's not merely our products. It's about the ethos that we embody. Rugged, resilient, and timeless. Had enough of those supplements that leave you feeling nothing? Symbionica is your solution to great-tasting, all-natural supplements that actually work. Crafted with premium plant-based ingredients, their products have no seed oils, fillers, or toxins. Try them out and actually feel the difference today. Visit Symbionica.com and use code IHEART for 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Again, that's 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Go to Symbionica.com. C-Y-M-B-I-O. TIKA.com. Become a part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry with an education from Trinity School of Natural Health. Trinity graduates can empower their communities through natural health principles and techniques, whether they go into practice to guide others toward their wellness goals or open a store to sell their favorite health products. Trinity grads are equipped to change lives. 
With 19 online programs and flexibility to fit your busy schedule, including the popular Certified Natural Health Professional, you can get the training that helps you turn your passion into a career. And here's the best part. You can earn the certification in less than a year. From herbology to naturopathy and health coaching, Trinity allows you to make a meaningful difference by helping others live healthier, happier lives. Don't wait any longer to pursue your passion for natural health. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. The police department then charged because the Department of Social Services was substantiating, and they were substantiating largely because they had to give credence to the child, which is in their report, and also because they wanted to figure out what was going on with this family, so they had to substantiate something to get DSS access to the family, if that makes sense. Of course, couldn't have happened the way she described it, given the size of the trailer and where people were sleeping and that Howard's wife was home with a newborn and waking up every hour throughout the night to take care of this newborn and had a two-year-old close by. It just didn't happen, and the guardian ad litem who was overridden by DSS and Kinston Police Department. He didn't succeed in stopping the train that had already headed off the station. Right. This is a crime that not only didn't happen, you also have that there was no opportunity even for Howard to have done this or anyone to have done this in the space that they cohabitated, as you just said, Teresa. So Howard, turning to you, During this period of time, where were you? Were you being held? Were you uh, out on bond? And what was going on in your mind? You were a guy who had had no previous interaction with the criminal justice system. You were a good young man, right? That's right. I was sitting back in that county jail. My lawyer, Mr. Harvey, he comes in, he starts talking with me about a plea bargain. He told me, he said, things ain't looking good for you. And I learned that the plea bargain basically saying that you are guilty. And that's all I need to hear right there. I said, oh, no. I said, no plea bargain for me. And he got a little hysterical. He said, Mr. Dudley, this is one thing that he told me was true. If you don't take the plea bargain, you're going to be gone for a long time. That's what he told me. And then it kind of hit me kind of hard. Think about my children here, my wife here. How are they going to survive? I began to think about it. So I talked it over with my wife. She pointed at me. She said, you tell the truth just like you've been doing. And so that's what helped me make my choice to, to stick with it. I don't regret it. I don't regret it. I had to live with Howard. I got, I got to get up every morning and look at Howard in the mirror. If I would have gave them what they wanted, took, taken the plea bargain, I don't think I'd be sitting here talking to y'all today. I think he would have took me out. I think it's easy to understand not being able to live with yourself if you had to say publicly not only something so disgusting, but also so patently untrue. Although some people are fine with things like that. I mean, consider our former president. But Howard is not like that. So you stuck to your innocence righteously and went to trial. Now, as Teresa mentioned earlier, Amy was the only evidence in this case, false evidence, of course, that she immediately recanted after trial. But that's all there ever was. And I want to turn to Teresa here because when you dove into this case many years after the wrongful conviction, you did what Howard's lawyer and really everybody else should have done in the first place, which was to appropriately assess Amy's mental state and competency to stand trial. Now, we alluded to this earlier the fact that she had some intellectual limitations. Can you tell us what you learned? Amy has some challenges. A psychological problems did then, does now. She has some 
cognitive limitations, more suggestible than 99% of the population. So this was a, a little girl who at nine probably was much younger in her affect and her intellectual attainments. There's a real question about whether she was competent to stand trial. And I think everyone will be interested in learning how they assessed her competence. They asked her if she knew her colors, if she knew her letters, if she knew a number of things, and she answered yes to each of those without demonstrating that she, in fact, knew her colors, knew her letters. <laughs> you could ask a, a one-and-a-half-year-old, you know, yes or no questions, and they will likely answer yes. I mean, this poor girl was just thrust into this situation, answering questions about these vulgar, terrible acts of which she had no knowledge because at most she had heard about them from an episode of Sally, Jesse, Raphael, her babysitter, or more likely the prosecutors. She should have just been in school, but instead she was in a courtroom walking through these inconsistent and implausible statements, lies, let's call them what they are, that she had made up. So how did they make her sound credible to the jury? When she testified, she was asked leading questions because she was a child. You usually can't ask leading questions of witnesses. Um, there's a prohibition. But with a child, you can ask leading questions if you request it and you're the state. So of course, as you might imagine, the testimony was bare bones, but also quite different from the previous tellings of the story by Amy. So the prosecutor was allowed this this sort of way of leading Amy through a coherent narrative. Meanwhile, I understand that the SS reports, which contained all of Amy's interviews, now those reports were all withheld. We've been talking about the different retellings by Amy and the wild inconsistencies among the tellings and the outlandish details. So all of that was withheld. Howard didn't know about them at the time of trial, and his defense lawyer didn't know. Now, the state knew, the prosecutors knew, because they had access to the DSS records, and certainly the DSS social worker who led the investigation knew. Even when it's the era of one must give credence to the child, there was still, one hopes, it would have been a juror or two, at least, um, who would say, no, 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 that's crazy talk, and maybe would have hung the jury. I like to believe that the defense lawyer would have won an outright acquittal if he had had those documents and had done even a modicum of, of investigation of his own, and, and he had not. And this was a guy, don't forget, who had been practicing law for only about a year and had devoted only about 30 hours to this case, including the two-day trial. He filed no pretrial motions, nor conducted any of his own investigation, including into Amy's competency or the story she had told. He could have also hired an independent medical expert. Who knows how helpful it could have been? When children are believed to have been physically abused, sexually abused, child medical evaluation report is completed. In this case, one was ordered by DSS, I believe. It was done three weeks later, which is a mistake. But they did three weeks later, and there was no physical evidence of abuse. Importantly, at trial, Howard's defense lawyer did not call an independent medical expert. He called that doctor, the one who conducted the child medical evaluation for the state. And he got that doctor to say, no, there wasn't any physical abuse. But that doctor also said, in a lot of cases of sex abuse, the exam is normal. So that was completely unhelpful. I mean, to have the medical examination conducted three weeks later, our bodies are elastic. They heal. 
of course they weren't going to find anything three weeks later unless the damage was so severe, which I don't even want to imagine. And thankfully, we don't have to in this case. There was no damage even three weeks earlier. So Amy's mother, Diane, and Lydia May, the babysitter, also took the stand. Obviously, they weren't witnesses to anything, so I'm not sure what they had to offer. And Howard, you took the stand as well, denying the charges, saying that the comment about you being nasty, this all started with you disciplining Amy for poor behavior. Your wife also testified about the size of your mobile home and how she had never heard any screams or anything unusual during Amy's visits, as well as how she was up at all hours nursing a newborn, which rendered all of these claims impossible. And, and one more thing. I heard that a jury said that I was believable and Amy was believable, but they said at the end of the day, they had to go with the daughter. No, why not go with the evidence? Right. I mean, if you have two people telling completely different stories, now, granted, one of them is a nine-year-old child, go with the evidence. The problem with these cases, particularly during that period of time, was that people were told they had to believe the children. His daughter is saying it, right? Why would she say that? It has to be true. Ultimately, the jury went out. When they came back in, did you still have hope that finally the truth would come out and you could go back to your normal life? When you're an innocent individual, absolutely, you look for them to come back, get this over with so I can go home, go back with my life. As I stood there, that's what I was looking to hear. And I watched 12 jurors come out and say guilty, guilty, guilty. I said, I can't believe this is happening. It's ridiculous. Zero Foxtrot isn't just a brand, it's a way of life. Founded and operated by veterans, Zero Foxtrot's unique apparel and gear echoes the grit of the warrior culture. Zero Foxtrot dedicates itself to producing content, honoring the sacrifices of forgotten heroes of the past, and connecting history to the present. Embark on a journey with Zero Foxtrot today at ZeroFoxtrot.com. It's not merely our products, it's about the ethos that we embody. Rugged, resilient, and timeless. Had enough of those supplements that leave you feeling nothing? Symbionica is your solution to great-tasting, all-natural supplements that actually work. Crafted with premium plant-based ingredients, their products have no seed oils, fillers, or toxins. Try them out and actually feel the difference today. Visit Symbionica.com and use code IHEART for 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Again, that's 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Go to Symbionica.com. C-Y-M-B-I-O. TIKA.com. Become a part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry with an education from Trinity School of Natural Health. Trinity graduates can empower their communities through natural health principles and techniques, whether they go into practice to guide others toward their wellness goals or open a store to sell their favorite health products. Trinity grads are equipped to change lives. With 19 online programs and flexibility to fit your busy schedule, including the popular Certified Natural Health Professional. You can get the training that helps you turn your passion into a career. And here's the best part. You can earn the certification in less than a year. From herbology to naturopathy and health coaching, Trinity allows you to make a meaningful difference by helping others live healthier, happier lives. Don't wait any longer to pursue your passion for natural health. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. 
you know what society sometimes say what people in prison say you were found guilty I like to use the term I was made guilty because they had absolutely nothing to prove that I was guilty and inside the prison that's a bad that's a terrible case to carry inside the prison because everybody is talking have their opinion about your case or what they seen on the news I slung hard to my relationship with God and I met other Christians that was in prison guys that had made some mistakes bad choices and we connected and sharing my story talking to them that's what helped me to begin to deal with my situation at hand and it, it got a little better from there and people began to believe in me I never dropped my relationship with God I kept it for the 24 years in prison prayer read my Bible each and every day that's something I did every day repetition that was my survival course I'm glad that you found a way through, considering what prison life can be like for someone found or or actually made guilty of a crime like the one that never happened in this case. And it must have eased your burden and your mind a bit when your daughter Amy came forward to recant immediately after trial. Can you tell us about that? Did it surprise you? I knew my daughter. It didn't surprise me, but what surprised me, she did it so quickly. I knew my daughter. I knew she couldn't live with that. Because she and I were so close. It, would, it wouldn't have been so bad if we, we had a close relationship. I was a good dad. I loved my daughter. Still love her today. That's why it affected her so bad when she had to live with what she had to live with, which was a total lie. Right now today, she'll tell me right now today, Dad, I think I owe you an uh, explanation. I said, no, you don't owe me an explanation. I know I was a good dad. I wasn't a perfect dad. I, I definitely wasn't a perfect boyfriend. Yeah. And by the way, you don't get life in prison for being a bad boyfriend, not even in this country. Did Diane ever come around? Before Diane, Amy's mother passed away, she was even trying to get me out of prison. We went to court and she made a statement. I didn't know Amy was lying. I thought she was telling the truth. These are her words. So with these two very powerful recantations, plus support from family and your church, they hired a lawyer to mount your post-conviction campaign. My family hired a seasoned lawyer in Kingston, James Perry. We thought that he would do the investigation that never occurred previously, but we realized that the information that was needed to free me, he didn't get it. But he did come down to talk to me when I was in prison. But his conversation was only about me taking a plea bargain and get out of prison. I wasn't about to say I committed a crime against my daughter just to get out of prison. If I was going to do that, I would never came to prison because that door was open for me right at the very beginning. So The reason the earlier lawyers, including Mr. Perry, failed is in part because they had a, a fundamental misunderstanding of what you needed to do to get relief in a recantation case. In a recantation case is when the principal witness or a material witness lies during the trial And then they admit it, like Amy did. Immediately after the trial, she was with a different babysitter. That babysitter was reading a Bible story about truth. And Amy started crying and said, I lied on my daddy. So that gives you an opportunity to go back into court on a recantation claim. But what they did was just put Amy on the stand. And Amy says, "Okay, I lied. But they don't give the judge anything else because then the judge has, well, she told story A at trial and now she's telling story B. How do I decide? which one is the truth. So when we got it, we said, how can we provide the judge the context 
to understand that Amy's recantation is true and her trial testimony is false. Right. Not only was his trial lawyer wildly ineffective, but his seasoned appellate attorney neglected to do what was necessary in a recantation case as well. So as I understand it, Howard's friend, a volunteer who would come into work in the prison chapel, a guy named Louis Alexander, may he rest in peace, he advocated for Howard with the Duke Wrongful Convictions Clinic, and that really put Howard on the radar and on the path to freedom. A really important step along that path, though, was a series of articles written by a man, a a journalist named Joseph Neff, who's now at the Marshall Project. He worked for the Raleigh News and Observer, and he wrote a series on Howard's case that really helped us, including he he got an interview with the Guardian ad litem, who spoke out of turn. He realized he shouldn't have spoken to a journalist and called the journalist the next day, I believe, and said, can I say now that that was all you know, off record? And the journalist said no. And so we had what the Guardian and Lightham thought about the case. We accepted Howard's case in 2008, and we investigate fully. We had a, a remarkable expert, a woman named Sally Johnson, an MD, psychiatrist, and she did testing of uh, Howard and Amy, and it was extremely helpful information. But it did take five years to file the motion for appropriate relief that collected all of the evidence. During that time, we were also talking to the district attorney, which is what we do in every case. We try to get the district attorney to agree with us and join us in seeking relief for our clients. But it didn't work in that case. Actually, it lasted through that district attorney and another. We then had to go before the judge, Judge Paul Jones, who was the last person to deny relief to Howard. We had to convince him not to bar us procedurally, which is a court mechanism, and to allow us to reopen the case in court. And we did. He allowed us to go forward with all of our claims, and then he uh, recused himself, so we had a different judge. So now you, Jamie Lau, who our listeners will, of course, remember from the Ronnie Long case, and another great lawyer, Spencer Paris, a friend of yours, Teresa, a tremendous trial lawyer who came out of retirement just for this case. The three of you prepared for this hearing in 2016. We had seven claims. The very first claim, which I was uh, amused when I look back at it this morning, the very first claim is Howard Dudley is innocent. And then we lay out and make just an argument for his innocence. You can't win on innocence. There is no freestanding claim in North Carolina or nearly anywhere where innocence is enough. But if you actually make a claim, a real claim of it, there's just a corresponding increased likelihood in the past cases he looked at of relief. So I'm like, we're leading off with a claim of innocence. So, but then the other claims were all the context, right? So it was that Amy was tested on suggestibility and she truly is more suggestible than 99.9% of the general population. And that was done by Dr. Sally Johnson. That was a a real forensic evaluation that Amy has low IQ in the 68 range, which makes her less able in some ways to understand the ramifications of what was happening. That it arose in this period of mass hysteria. And we explained the context of the Little Rascals trial happening essentially next door. We had three claims on ineffective assistance of counsel that explained everything that the lawyer failed to do, including getting all the documents from the Department of Social Services and from Paul Porter, the guardian ad litem. So we put all of that together and that bolstered Amy's recantation 
One amazing thing that happened at that hearing, though, was that when Amy was on the stand, and it's difficult for her as a nine-year-old, as a teenager, again, and then as a grown woman, but the judge asked if he could speak to her directly. The judge turned toward Amy, and he said, look at me. This ain't got nothing to do with them. This is between me and you. He said, did your daddy do anything to you? She said, no, sir. And that was all he needed. So on March 2nd, 2016, the Honorable Judge Parsons agreed that Amy's recantation was credible, that there was ineffective assistance of counsel, and that the prosecution failed to disclose both the social services report as well as the fact that the guardian ad litem had concluded that Amy's claims were false. The prosecution would eventually dismiss all charges two months later, but what was that moment like when the judge vacated your conviction and finally ordered you released from prison? As we sit there in court, Miss Newman held my arm. She would look around at my family with a smile on her face. I knew it was going in our favor. But I had had so many letdowns, so I didn't know what to believe, you know. And so when things really like to knock me out, when that judge turned around and looked at me and said, Mr. Dudley, you're going home today. I said to myself, did I hear what I think I heard? And I, I didn't tell Miss Newman, I almost fainted. But that was a great moment. My family, everybody started to roar in the courtroom, and it was just a high moment. My favorite story is, because I'm a lawyer and a rule follower, we're walking out, and Howard's wearing his prison garb, and he's just dropping it behind him on the ground. And I'm like, we've got to, re- Howard, we have to return these. He looked at me like I was insane. <laughs> he said, I am not worried about re- returning these clothes. Oh, uh, we, uh, we get outside and they're just throngs of his supporters and reporters. And Joe Neff, who wrote the series on you, attended the whole hearing. He was writing more. It was a truly joyous it was great. It was great. When I walked out the door, freedom. It was freedom. But it hit, it hit me that my wife wasn't there to see this. She worked so hard. My mama wasn't there to see this. That was a moment that caused me to break down. It was hard at this particular moment because they wasn't there. They worked so hard. Uh, one day my wife just fell dead. My mama, I visited her the last time in Rex Hospital. We sung together. We prayed together. We cried together. And I left that day. I I knew that would be the last time I would see her alive. And those emotions just came on me all at once when I was walking out. And it just overtook me. But very good day. It was a very difficult day. Bittersweet. Yeah. Bittersweet. Mm -hmm. So in April 2018, you filed a federal civil rights suit against the city of Kinston seeking compensation. They eventually settled in July 2021. And, you know, I mean, nothing they could ever pay you would make up for what you lost. Absolutely nothing. Absolutely nothing. And then you were granted a pardon of innocence from Governor Roy Cooper. So not only did the prosecution dismiss the charges, but then you got it officially recognized. Officially. Yes, I got Hanging on my wall, I'd like to say this right here. Jamie, Mr. Spencer, Miss Newman, the Duke Law team, I'd like to say it like this right here. They saved my life. They saved my life. I can't put it in no better words than that right there. All of them. Well, we'll be sure to, you know, link up the 
to the Duke Law School Wrongful Conviction Clinic. So check the link in the bio in the episode. And now I'll turn to closing arguments. You know, it starts off with me, of course, thanking both of you for joining us, Teresa, Howard. And so now we're going to turn to closing arguments. This is the part of the show where I turn my microphone off and leave both of yours on and just listen to anything else you want to share with me and our audience. So Teresa, why don't you go first, then hand the mic off to Howard. And Howard, you can take us out into the sunset. Every time Howard and I have an opportunity to talk about this case, whether it's publicly or in private, I learn something new about Howard. And what I learned today is that Howard sees himself as sort of every man or ordinary man, just a regular person trying to live his life. When in fact, I and the people who've gotten to know him through this long journey would say he's truly extraordinary in that he refused to do what I think uh, so many of us would do to go home to be with our families. He refused to take that early exit with the plea bargain before trial. And later, when it looked like maybe it was going to be offered through the previous lawyers, and he refused to do that because he is a man of truly remarkable integrity. And as he says, I wanted to be able to look in the mirror and say, you know, I could not have taken that plea and admitted to doing the things that I did not do in that, that I have lived my life in a different way from what they expect me to say. So, Howard, you're truly extraordinary. Well, on my behalf, I, I would uh, like to say that Miss Teresa, Jamie, Mr. Spencer, Mr. Coleman, the Duke Law students, I would like to say that they have helped to restore my integrity of the law didn't think they were such thing after my situation as any lawyer that had a heart. I really didn't think that until they restored it. There is some good lawyers out there. There is some that got a heart. There is some that want to do the right thing. There is some that take their work serious. There is some that out there that really, really care about what they are doing. People lives, like I said earlier, and I continue to say this because they saved my life. I, I was uh, in a situation that I didn't think I would never get out of. I had so many no's, I didn't think there was such thing as yes when it come down to lawyers and district attorney. I, I had no idea, but I could never say enough about what they had done on my behalf, uh, restoring my freedom back and back with my family and children, even though they are grown now. But uh, I owe it, owe it all to them. We're family, we're family, we're family. Thank you for listening to Wrongful Conviction. I'd like to thank our production team, Connor Hall, Jeff Clyburn, and Kevin Wardis, with research by Lila Robinson. The music in this production was supplied by three-time Oscar-nominated composer Jay Ralph. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at Wrongful Conviction, on Facebook at Wrongful Conviction Podcast, and on Twitter at Wrong Conviction, as well as at Lava for Good on all three platforms. You can also follow me on both TikTok and Instagram at It's Jason Flom. Wrongful Conviction is a production of Lava for Good Podcast in association with Signal Company Number One.
Zero Foxtrot isn't just a brand, it's a way of life. Founded and operated by veterans, Zero Foxtrot's unique apparel and gear echoes the grit of the warrior culture. Zero Foxtrot dedicates itself to producing content, honoring the sacrifices of forgotten heroes of the past, and connecting history to the present. Embark on a journey with Zero Foxtrot today at ZeroFoxtrot.com. It's not merely our products, it's about the ethos that we embody. Rugged, resilient, and timeless. Become a part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry with an education from Trinity School of Natural Health. Trinity graduates can empower their communities through natural health principles and techniques, whether they go into practice to guide others toward their wellness goals or open a store to sell their favorite health products. Trinity grads are equipped to change lives. With 19 online programs and flexibility to fit your busy schedule, including the popular Certified Natural Health Professional, you can get the training that helps you turn your passion into a career. And here's the best part. You can earn the certification in less than a year. From herbology to naturopathy and health coaching, Trinity allows you to make a meaningful difference by helping others live healthier, happier lives. Don't wait any longer to pursue your passion for natural health. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts.